Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk. I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is a daily download. Today, I'm joined by Loan Depot's Executive Director of Distributive Retail, Dan Hansen. In this episode, we discuss Hansen's history as a longtime leader in the mortgage industry, the lessons he's learned from several of the mortgage cycles he's experienced, and what he expects to see in next year's market. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. CoreLogic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines, CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit corelogic.com forward slash COVID-19. Hello, Housing Wire guests. Today, I am joined by Dan Hansen, who is a longtime leader in the mortgage industry. Dan, thanks for joining us today. A pleasure. Thanks for getting me up early in California time. (laughs) Of course. I wanted to get started by talking about your history as a mortgage leader in the industry. You currently serve as Executive Director of Distributive Retail for Loan Depot and undoubtedly have a lot of experience in the field. Walk us through how you got started. Uh, well, I think my, my history is not dissimilar to many people who've gotten into our industry. I started actually in the title industry back in the early 70s. And after about a 10-year career there, decided that the mortgage industry was just as interesting. I started working for a company in Riverside, California. That company grew and then was acquired by another company, uh, which became Norwest. And Norwest was the largest mortgage uh, company in the country in the in the in that at that particular time in the in the eighties, and they went out and decided to buy a bank called Wells Fargo. So, uh, even though I didn't leave Directors Mortgage, I be, I became Norwest Mortgage, and then I became Wells Fargo Mortgage, and spent eighteen years in in a combination of independent mortgage banking and then a banking environment. And after that, uh, left Wells Fargo in the two thousands. Worked for Countrywide, worked for Bank of America, worked for a company called iMortgage, and then ended up at Loan Depot because our industry does have a lot of acquisitions, mergers, and changes, even though it, it continues to reflect the industry. So unfortunately, since 1986, I've been a mortgage banker. So I've seen a lot of interesting, uh, and we talked earlier about calamities as well as uh, challenges, as well as interest rate movements up and down. You know, Jimmy Carter in 1981 at 16%, and today, you know, 2 to 3%, which is an amazing uh, roller coaster for our industry and for America, for that matter. Can you discuss some of the mortgage cycles you've been through and what lessons can be applied today? Well, you know, as you look back over the different decades, there always seems to be a couple of pivotal events that happen decade by decade that change the complexion of the mortgage space. So in the 80s, people kind of forget, we had another little crisis called the savings and loan crisis. And we had over $400 billion worth of crisis at that time. And the RTC was formed to just figure out how to liquidate properties because we had an SNL model that when interest rates went up, they were lending 
lending to people uh, above what they could afford. And so that crisis caused a lot of uh, concern in the industry because it was really the f- one of the first times that we saw tremendous uh, national problems. Before we had local problems. In the 70s, we had an oil patch issue in Texas and other areas. And so we had basic regional real estate uh, deflation. The savings and loan crisis was, was a little more national. And people started to realize, hey, we've got to kind of watch the value of real estate and supply and demand because it can affect the equity and property so dramatically. Uh, the 90s, of course, uh, were a very interesting time frame. Um, we had uh, a little bit of social engineering going on, you know, and, and we had people trying to figure out how to get more people into housing, which is a really uh, interesting topic, I think, for Housing Wire to address, which is, you know, home ownership is probably not for everybody. And, and how much home ownership should we try to create in our, in our country? Um, and so we, we've, we've had that tether where it's like we've kind of reduced our underwriting standards to kind of like include more people in the home buying process. And then we tightened those back down in, in environments where we had issues with problems in that regard. So it's, it's been a challenge that, that our, our industry has taken on for a long time. Fortunately, we have FHA and VA who have helped a lot of people get their first opportunity in home ownership. And uh, that's, I, I think, been incredibly laudable and very successful in most, in most respects when you look at the, the results of FHA and VA. As we approach the end of this year, 2021 is on a lot of our minds right now. What do you expect to see in the market going forward? And are there any changes you're looking forward to? Well, obviously, the, the biggest issues that we all are facing right now is the impact of the pandemic, obviously the impact of the election. We have a tremendous amount of variables that could determine how 2021 works. But we have some fundamental things which I think we can pretty much rely on. We have a, an inventory shortage in housing, which you know is not gonna be fixed anytime soon. I'm sure the home builders are gonna be working hard to do that, but it takes time, takes cooperation with government to get the inventory back to levels that you know, make the pricing a little bit more affordable for people. We also have, uh, in my opinion, a, a very different view of interest rates. They're staying low. I don't anticipate next year the rates are going to rise significantly. So we're going to keep rates pretty low, I think, at least through 2021. Uh, the, the government has put out extraordinary stimulus to protect people in their homes through the PPP program and through the forbearance program. And lenders have scrambled a bit, but at the end of the day, kind of got a handle on that at this point. And now it's a matter of what jobs are going to be available and what would those jobs look like in 2021? You know, we talked earlier about this this virtual technology we're using today and how many people are realizing that they may not have to go back to an office uh, and work the way they used to work. In fact, they might even be able to work in a different state than the state that they worked in before. And when you start understanding what that means, that changes the complexion of, of migration of real estate, where people go to live, the values of real estate in different areas. In the past, urban areas became very expensive because that's where the jobs were. And then all of a sudden, people are starting to move out of the urban areas and into more suburban areas and even into, into, into areas that have a lot less population because they can work virtually. So I think we're in for a change in the pattern in which people choose where to live and how to manage their real estate investment. 
which is their home in most cases. I think rates will stay low, so we'll have a positive environment there. I think equity and property will, will remain high because inventories are slow are low. So I, I think it's a pretty positive environment. We have some wild cards. You know, wild cards are always out there. Uh, one of them is the election. That, and, and what impact that's going to have on housing finance. Kind of have different views of Fannie and Freddie between both the Democratic and Republican Party. And, and I don't know how that'll all flesh out, and I don't think anybody really does know. Also, we, we, as I mentioned before, the, the forbearance issue, I think people are very worried about it. Um, I, I think for the most part, that's going to smooth itself out in most areas, depending on how employment responds, right, after the pandemic and what businesses are forever impacted and are just adjusting. Um, I know in my community here in California, we have a lot of self-employed restaurants, bars, you know, circumstances that may never recover fully from this type of circumstance and have to adjust the way in which their businesses are run. So I worry about that. I think everybody thinks about it because stable employment is what makes mortgage lending uh, possible and makes it uh, less risky and more stable for markets to depend on it and to invest in it. Uh, and that's probably the biggest wild card we have for next year. Lastly, just to touch on this topic and all the lenders going public lately, I know Loan Depot is even in this bunch. Can you share your thoughts on this? Well, going public, there's a lot of reasons to go public. Uh, a lot of companies do it to restructure their own debt. A lot of them is, is, to, is to do it because they're their investors who are involved in the company uh, want to invest in, in other interests and perceive that as an opportunity to move themselves out of the mortgage industry. Some of it's to gain capital uh, to protect themselves from any liquidity challenges that could occur in the future. Um, and I think our, our chairman, Anthony, has talked about it and looking at it vis-a-vis -vis our own circumstances. I think every company has different reasons for it. I think, you know, when things are good and it looks like there's going to be a positive low interest rate environment for a period of time, I think people perceive that as a positive um, valuation for their company. And it's, if it's an opportunity to go public, uh, they're taking advantage of it. I don't know whether it's right for every company. I think everybody has to make that decision themselves. And then ultimately, I think the markets are pretty smart. They'll figure out what companies have sustainable value who are in it, not just for refinances, but are great purchase providers uh, to home ownership, because that's what drives our industry. Refinances come and go based on interest rate. Purchases are a pretty consistent part of our economy as people want to own homes. We have a 75 million millennials that are starting to have children and want to have a home to raise them in. So I think there's going to be demand in that regard. There always has been on the purchase side. So I think the market will shake, will shake that out and the strongest companies will, will do very well in a public setting. A lot of great insight here today, Dan. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we go? Well, obviously, having been in the industry for, for many decades and uh, seen a lot of swings one way or the other, it's, it's almost impossible to, to swing perfectly. So sometimes you overcorrect. And then you kind of have to pull back and kind of figure out your equilibrium. And I think when we finally have a vaccine for this pandemic, hopefully, and we, we kind of sort out the political uh, nature over the next few months of what's going to happen in America, 
you know, I think that the housing market will continue to be strong. I think it's a part of our American society. I think it's an important part of uh, creating wealth for individuals to uh, rate, not only raise their family, but create wealth for themselves. And I, I'm excited to be a part of an industry that could be a positive force in, in, that, in that regard. Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate your time today. Okay, have a great day. Thanks for calling. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Daily Download. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and join us again tomorrow.